Hello and welcome to the first episode of Crazy Brain. This podcast is hosted by myself, Katie Edwards. I'm a recent graduate of music technology residing in Asheville, North Carolina. I have not only a deep and profound passion for music, but I find connection with music through my struggles with mental illness. For each episode of this podcast, I'd like to focus on a classical composer's struggles with mental illness and their madness that led them to write beautiful music. While mental health is no joke, the connections our brain creates is especially interesting to me. Through this podcast, I'll be exploring how mental illness has influenced people to create music that conveys emotions in ways you would have never expected. In today's episode, I'll be featuring my story to not only give some background, but establish a foundation. Stay tuned as I delve into my story with mental illness and how that has influenced me not only as a musician, but as a music listener as well. It's hard for me to think about where to start. I guess I'll start by saying I have always had a love for music. My parents probably ingrained this in my head, starting at a young age. My parents loved to blast ACDC on our cheap-ass, yet powerful surround sound speakers a couple nights a week. I think that's how they bonded. My dad played in multiple bands as a drummer before I was born and as I grew up. My dad loves rock music. When my sisters and I were young, we used to play a rock and roll station on the radio, and I swear he knew every song and could name every artist. Music was always just part of my life when I was younger. I remember when I was in second grade, people in my class were discussing how they loved Kelly Clarkson, and when I was asked who I liked, of course I said ACDC. Music was something that always felt comfortable and nostalgic for me. I never even considered being a musician, but I always consider myself an avid music listener. Music was something I could always count on, and honestly, it saved me when I was at the lowest points in my life. When I was a young, dumb teenager, I knew I was different from other people my age. I had friends, but sometimes my friendships felt forced. I played soccer for years growing up and never really bonded with any of my teammates. I always felt like an outsider. I think a lot of people who have mental illness feel this way, especially in the beginning, before they realize what exactly is going on in their heads. That's not to say every person who feels different is bad, but there is definitely some correlation between people who think differently and mental illness. Mental illness is something that runs in my family, but I guess I never expected that I would be the one to get to deal with it the most. My mom has definitely dealt with untreated depression for most of her life, and unfortunately, we had many disagreements when I was going through the early stages of realizing what was going on in my head. Most of my mom's side of the family has dealt with mental health issues. My mom's parents were both admitted to mental health facilities while my mom was growing up, with my grandma being severely overmedicated for her bipolar disorder. My mom's aunt drowned herself. Mental health was something I knew about because of my family, but as I said, I didn't really consider it for myself. I just knew I was different. I used to think about really abstract ideas. I thought it was normal, like every 14, 15 year old thinks about why humans feel and why sometimes our brains feel like not enough space for too much thought. I think there's something interesting to be said about how people who are depressed are depressed because they're really self-aware. 
I think I was realizing what it meant to live in a world where people don't understand you and you don't really understand yourself. I realized I was depressed when I turned 16. I had been continuously arguing with my parents, especially my mom for weeks, which turned into months, and I knew I felt off, but I didn't know how to describe it. It was a few days after my birthday, and I got into a huge fight with my mom. I was crying, and I felt like I needed to get out, go away, be somewhere that just wasn't there. So while my parents weren't looking, I left the house and walked a mile to my best friend Sydney's house. I didn't tell my parents where I was going. I didn't think they would want to know. I just wanted to feel the feelings, and I wanted to be somewhere else. I remember crying on Sydney, telling her what happened, but not really understanding how I felt. I still remember when it clicked in my head for me. I asked Sydney if she was happy, and she said she was. I remember she asked me if I was happy. I said no. After that, I started therapy. I saw a therapist for a year after that, once a week, 45 minutes away in a place in North Carolina called Hampstead. My therapist diagnosed me with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. To be quite honest, I hated therapy for a long time. I hated crying, I hated talking about my feelings, I hated feeling. I wanted to just shove all of my emotions down in a box and pretend I didn't feel anything at all. So for a while after my year of therapy, that's what I did. I stopped therapy shortly after I started working my first job at a movie theater in Jacksonville. I knew I was still depressed, but I hated therapy so much I didn't want to go back. I told my therapist at the time I wanted to transfer to a therapist closer to my house. I never did, though. I began to train myself to ignore my emotions. I began to train myself to think I wasn't feeling. For me, feeling nothing was easier than feeling everything. I think some people who deal with mental health issues are like that. We empathize so much with the world, we start to lose sense of our own grounding emotions. We lose the ability to recognize the sadness we feel is our own, not the weight of someone else's sadness. For me personally, it felt too much. I felt overwhelmed by my emotions to the point that I didn't want to feel anything at all. I felt crazy. A couple years later, I was diagnosed with insomnia, and so began my long, debilitating journey with sleeping medications. I even tried Ambien at one point, a highly addictive medication that is known for being kind of terrible. I remember I was 19 taking Ambien, and when I initially took it, it knocked me out. It was great at first. I slept so hard that I felt amazing. Soon, though, I built up a resistance to my initial dose, and my doctor decided to up my dosage. That's when the real fun started. I started hallucinating each night when taking the Ambien. Sometimes I didn't fall asleep as quickly after taking it, and when that happened, I would see and hear things. I heard voices, even my Himalayan salt lamp became a face, laughing and talking with me. I used to text my friends and have conversations I would not remember in the morning. I thought this was all a game. I was really new to strong medications, and the voices and images were kind of entertaining. It wasn't until it became twisted that I knew I had to stop the ambient. The faces I saw became demonic, the voices ominous, and I started forgetting more and more. Although I should have told my doctor sooner of my adverse reactions, I will never forget how Ambien made me feel. Following my stint with Ambien, I tried a slew of medications, including Wellbutrin, Trazodone, and eventually Remron. 
not only sleeping medications, but after I moved six hours west from Jacksonville to Asheville, I also began antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, and antipsychotics. The move from Jacksonville to Asheville was brutal. I was semi-stable when I lived in Jacksonville, sleeping some, depressed some, still not doing therapy, still feeling crazy. But I was decent. When I moved, I was in between doctors and was off all my medications for about four months. I began spiraling out of control, getting two to three hours of sleep every night, anxious and really, really depressed. When I finally saw a doctor in November, I was desperate. I wanted a quick fix, and while I was still anti-therapy, medication was the way to do it. I started taking Abilify, Buspirone, and Trazodone at 20. For the next two to three to four years, I was good. I wasn't great, but I was good. I would take two to three tablets of 50 milligram Trazodone each night to sleep, which would really knock me out. But I also used to have what I like to call episodes. I became so dependent on these medications. I remember if I forgot to take them for a couple days, I had one. These episodes were really, really strange. It was like I started zoning out, I felt incredibly anxious, and I would just look off into nowhere, not realizing what was going on. And the feeling was really strange, too. It was probably the weirdest feeling I felt. It was like feeling everything and nothing at once. That probably doesn't make a lot of sense, and I've tried explaining it to other people. Later, I would explain it to another doctor who would tell me that I was probably borderline bipolar. That would explain the Abilify that I would later start taking. And later, I would start taking Lamictal, and then finally, my current medication, Lithium. But let's take a break. This podcast is also about music. As a high school senior, I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to pursue because at that point in time, music was a passion but not my career. I got into Eastern Carolina University and was fully intending to attend following my high school graduation. But then at the last second, I changed plans and decided to attend the local community college, a safer, cheaper option. It was honestly the best choice I could make and it changed my future. While I was attending community college for two years, I got all of my general education requirements out of the way. My future was changed, however, during my first class, my first semester, with a teacher who wasn't even initially signed up to teach the first class. Dr. Ayumi Nakamai, the head of the music department at Coastal Carolina Community College, would be my teacher of music appreciation and my future mentor who helped me get into the music technology program at UNC Asheville. I know what you're thinking. Music appreciation is kind of stupid, but kind of awesome. I remember how everyone in my class thought it was a joke. We learned about music starting from secular monophonic music to abstract electronic music. We studied how music influenced people and was influenced by people. I loved it. So much so that this class combined with a transfer success class gave me the confidence to decide to join the music department during my second year at at community college. Over the summer between my first and second years at Coastal, I was in communication with Dr. Nakamai 
about how I could join the department with my limited knowledge and background as a musician. The first thing I had to do, pick an instrument. Something about me to know. I used to do choir during middle and high school. It was fun. I like singing, and it was cheaper than band or orchestra. Was I good at it, intending to use it in the future? Absolutely not. At first, I picked piano. Dr. Nakamai was like, do you know how to play scales? No. Do you know how to play any songs? No. So I reluctantly joined the department as a vocalist and began doing one-on-one -on -one vocal lessons with Dr. Nakamai. And I took music theory and learned to sight sing, and I took intro piano lessons and ensemble classes, and worst of all, applied music. For any non-musicians, applied music is a class where everyone in the entire department gets together and each musician takes turns performing. It's the worst for introverts like me. Not convinced? My first performance as a new vocalist, I forgot half the lyrics. It was nerve-wracking, but I eventually got used to it. I mean, do you ever really get used to performing? But I was really motivated. Dr. Nakamai knew my intentions were to transfer to UNCA. She knew I had to audition to get into the de department, and we both knew my intention to study music tech, a program that accepts less than 15 people per year. So I worked my ass off to prepare. During my audition for UNCA, I was probably the most nervous I have ever been for something in my life. I wanted to be in the department so badly. Not getting in would completely throw off my plans for the future. Not just that, but I wanted to do it for myself. I had this goal, this really, really strong passion, and I knew what I really wanted. So the only thing standing in my way was this. So I did it. I got into the department, I got into the selective program, and I moved to Asheville to study music. I spent the next three and a half years, yes, it took me five and a half years to graduate, but I loved it. It was really fucking hard, but I loved it. I really love music. And now I'm 24, I work at Moog Music in Asheville, and things are different. I still love music, I don't think that will ever change. But I'm always changing, and so are my plans. At first I intended to move and get a job at Tennessee at a recording studio. Work my way into the industry to write music for video games. Now I'm thinking about music journalism, despite having no degree in communications or journalism. Who knows what I'll really do. Music is my passion though, so whatever I do it will be in music. The reason I wanted to do this podcast and talk about my personal journey with music and mental health, although they seem like unrelated topics, is because they are two things in my life I have spent the most time figuring out. I have struggled to accept myself as a musician. I have struggled to accept the fact that I go through periods of major depression, and me continuing to accept myself in every way, including the fact that I may have bipolar disorder. The reason I love music is because in the lowest points of my life, when I felt nothing, or when I wanted to pretend I felt nothing, music was the thing that made me feel something. I think I want to be like music, able to express emotions in ways that you don't need to talk. Just listen. My passion for mental health and music is because I want people to feel the way I feel when I listen to music. I want music to save someone the way it saved me. I know this podcast won't reach everyone, but I hope for at least one person it feels like it meant something. 
Music and mental health are connected in more ways than we think. And while I know I'm not completely crazy, I think there is something to be said about the madness and genius. My friend once told me something I've kept with me. It's a quote from Steve Jobs. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the ones who see things differently. While some people see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because to the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world, those are the ones who do.